Hey everyone, this is Umer, and you're tuning in to Oats for Breakfast. Oats for Breakfast is a founding member of the Harbinger Media Network, a community of left-wing listener-supported Canadian podcasts. Other podcasts on the network include 49th Parallel and Out of Left Field. You can go to harbingermedianetwork.com and check out the full roster of podcasts that are a part of the network. This episode of Oats for Breakfast features a discussion that was actually recorded quite a while ago, but I haven't had a chance until now to edit and publish it. Things are a bit up in the air now that there's a newborn in my life. Uh, He's a beautiful little guy, but he also doesn't have anything in the way of a proper sleep schedule, so everything I do, including the work on this podcast, has to be done on a bit of a delayed timeline. In any case, the discussion that you're going to hear is between myself and a couple other co-hosts, Connor and Ama. The broad theme of the discussion has to do with agriculture and food. We chat about concepts like food sovereignty, whether technologies like genetically modified organisms or GMOs uh, deserve to be celebrated. Uh, And we also get into talking about the limits of traditional agricultural societies. Uh, The discussion flows from one topic to the next in an organic manner, and there's a fair bit of disagreement along the way. And I think our attempts to outline and negotiate our disagreements should be part of what makes this an interesting listen. We also wanted to get into chatting about local urban agriculture, but we decided to set that aside for another recording that I'll try to release within the next week or so. Without further ado, let's get to the discussion. I guess to start off with, maybe we might benefit from just telling people that you guys are kind of experts in this field, maybe. (laughs) So both of you are, uh, how do you describe yourselves? Urban farmers? Connor, you certainly are an urban farmer. And Ama, you? Not an urban farmer yet, um, but um, I work at the Black Creek Community Farm. So, but you direct, you manage that farm? Yes, I support the management of the Black Creek Community Farm. Support the management. Wow, this is very TED Talk language. <laughs> Assistant to the regional branch manager. Assistant to the regional <laughs> branch manager. Right. Uh, right, so... So what is food sovereignty? I mean, what sort of uh, things do you guys reference when you're you're talking about like urban agriculture in Toronto, for instance? So, okay. So just a few key things. When we talk about food sovereignty, and this is a term that was coined by uh, Lavia Campesina back in 1996, which sort of laid out um, a conversation around really dismantling the corporate commodification of our agriculture and food system and looked at um, building strong local uh, resilient communities uh, through farming. So looking at the global scale of the challenges and and the the issues that um, we face. So what is La Via Campesina? La Via Campesina is uh, is peasant farmers. 
which I believe originated in Southern America, they have different chapters globally, but it's really focused on peasant farm is peasant farming uh, movements. Okay, and so they coined this term uh, food sovereignty, which is what you guys sort of base, which a lot of our, our urban agriculture sort of is, has its basis in. Is that what you guys? Uh, yeah, I think the term that we use at the farm is food justice. Food justice. Yeah, there's the three different terms: food sovereignty, food justice, and food security. Okay. The and the goal is that like different regions would produce their own food. Most importantly, the goal is like when we think about seeds, for instance, mm-hmm. is making sure that seeds are in the hands of farmers and not in the hands of corporations um, um, like Monsanto, and that farmers can go back to the old ways of being able to freely trade. And, and generate their own seeds and have control of that production, which means that when you think about it from a local uh, communities and local communities' ability to feed themselves, is, is, it's really looking at that. So if we are to talk about environmental justice and environmental issues, mm-hmm. and we're to talk about food distribution and food supply globally, most of the foods that we grow, we export. Right, food is um, commodified. Food it's sold. Um, we're not able to sort of go back to the old ways of farming, where local communities and local families are able to feed themselves, mm-hmm. right? Because food has been commodified to the extent that we are growing uh, things like soya beans and exporting it out of countries, and there isn't a focus. And we have um, destroyed the environment, destroyed the f- the waters that um, families. Are, are growing uh, food from, which is leaving them in, in food insecurity. Hmm. One other issue that I think we need to talk about when we talk about this is that because, you know, um, people not understanding sort of the issues around food insecurity, food justice, food sovereignty, whatever term that we're using to kind of describe the, the, the situation, we tend to um, you, we tend to duplicate the same systems and same issues that we want to change. So, if you look at the local foods movement in New York or even in Toronto, in large cities like Toronto, you have a lot of middle upper class people that have joined the bandwagon and that are not really looking at dismantling the the oppression and the systems that are duplicating they're just benefiting from it and and some people believe that just because I went to the farmers market and I bought um, some carrots and my carrots you know meet whatever kilometer mile that I'm trying to make sure that all my food come from that I have done my part for the world or I have done my part for the environment and I think that's sort of the the, the problem with 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 that. And I think it's an issue that um, um, we would need to sort of figure out how to grapple and how to um, address and how to challenge so that it doesn't get co-opted. I mean, it feels like, to, from my perspective, those kinds of people that you're describing are the basis of this entire thing. The basis of which? Of <laughs> well, like this entire sort of like, you know, shop at the farmer's market, buy local, buy organic, you know, it's like well-to-do people. Mm, no, that's that's a very fair statement. Okay, so we can. Well, yeah, I I would say that the that there is a broader swath of people who are concerned about pesticides and genetically modified organisms, which is something that the organic standard addresses. So I wouldn't say I I would say you know organic food is more expensive, and so it 
tends to cater to people who have wealth, but I wouldn't say that other people who may not have the means to purchase organic food are indifferent. Yeah, like I'm not indifferent to there being an overuse of pesticides and whatever harms may come from that. I'm obviously not indifferent to that, but I also don't buy organic food. Why not? It's expensive. It's expensive. Also, I mean, there's something about that lifestyle. <laughs> that lifestyle. Okay, let's let's be let's be real here, okay? People for generations have been growing food organically forever. Okay? This was how farming was done. And in terms of it's only in like I just came back from Ghana, okay? Um was with a farmer who is growing food organically, not using the label organic food to to market her product. But that is how she's growing the food. It's only in our part of the world, in this so-called first world, right, where organic food, the conversations around organic food is centered around um, rich people, right? Um, so I think that that's one because they are the ones who are co-opting the movement. But at the same time, to talk about genetically modified um, um, organism, we have to talk about farmers and we have to talk about the control of, of seeds and the control of, of our food system. But it is true in the mainstream movement, people who do not want it, they care more for their health right it's it's more about making a choice to eat better for their health and less about the growers the people that are actually growing the food what are their health what is the impact of chemical fertilizers on farmers what is the impact of them having to be reliant on to genetically um, uh, modified uh, seeds um, instead of being able to freely grow and share their own seeds, something that farmers have been doing for many generations. So that's part of the discourse that is missing when we focus on, you know, I don't eat GMOs. I don't, you know, I only buy from Why local don't people farm. eat GMOs? What's the I, like, we all the, eat GMOs. Okay, let's yeah. be real. I mean, why? Yeah. I <laughs> and why wouldn't you want to eat? Like, I don't. There's no health problem with eating GMOs, as far as I understand. I think the conversation around GMOs is more so for the fact that somebody can take a native seeds, patent it, and then now have control over that and prevent farmers from being able to grow. Yeah, that's the part of it that I'm concerned with. I'm not so. If there is an argument about the health impacts of GMOs, yeah, as far as I would guess, I doubt that that's an issue. Yeah, I mean, it is for a lot of people, but I think the science at its present state seems to indicate that it's not a health issue yeah. at a personal level. Yeah. But I mean, there is the issue of most genetically modified organisms are modified so that they're resistant to pesticides so that they can be sprayed with pesticides and they won't die mm -hmm. or herbicides. And so the use of GMOs is highly cor correlated with, mm -hmm. with herbicide and pesticide use. Mm -hmm. although, although sometimes they're modified so that the pesticide is actually built into the structure of the plant and then you don't have to use a pesticide. So it does go. That's uh, amazing that we can do that. I mean, is, can I celebrate that? 
No, it cannot be celebrated because then these seeds are patented. I think we're forgetting a big piece of it. And this is what is making a lot of farmers destitute. Okay. Then these seeds are patented. Farmers have to go and buy those seeds to grow. They cannot then harvest or save those seeds again to plant again. They have to go back and rely. So it's very much reliant on keeping that structure of a corporate system alive. And I think that's very, very problematic. Um, and, and for the fact that we are losing um, the decline of farmers um, and the health of farmers, the mental health of farmers, the cost of farming, like it's all going up. And that doesn't mean that because we put so much money and resources into GMOs, we haven't put as much resource into actually growing organically and saving seeds and actually finding uh, um, growing seeds that can be also climate resistant as well. So we can't make an argument for one when we haven't invested in the other. I'd also like to say something about celebrating the genetic engineering. I think, you know, that type of genetic engineering takes genes from an or from an organism and implants it into another organism. I think that's beautiful. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly an achievement. Yeah. It's just whether, you know, we don't know the long term ecological or health impacts of that of that technology. I mean, just because we we can't detect a health impact right now doesn't mean it's not causing some kind of wider scale ecological harm. Like we could also argue that we don't really see the immediate impacts of air pollution. But then again, we have a climate that is warming out of control, right? So it's Oh, but that's been pretty clear for a long time. Oh yeah, yeah I, so I know. I'm just saying. To, yeah, demonstrate and. Yeah, I'm just saying that you know there could be other implications of of crossing two uh, genes that would never have crossed naturally. Mm -hmm. And sorry, and and to say one more thing, we do know this though, that sustainable agriculture without GMOs, okay. Actually, if you look at soil health, you look at um, the biodiversity that is able to protect, it is very much different from when you look at a GMO field. That's true. So, G GMOs are also associated with monoculture. Yeah. So we, we, we may not know, but we do know this for sure that in sustainable agriculture, you're able to have much more biodiversity much more variety of insects, much more variety of good bacteria and things that you need in the soil, which is a uh, good health overall. And we do know that in uh, GMO, it doesn't have the same amount or the same levels. So to celebrate GMO, it's, it's mostly, a different question. Yeah, right. Yeah. And mostly I think that's to do with the level of investment that you have to put into creating a genetically modified crop. It only makes sense if you're then growing it on massive uh, scales to pay back that investment. And mm -hmm. that's that's another argument. I, I would make that argument against this kind of a technologically sophisticated um, system that is that forces you to to grow in a particular way that is not as environmentally as that is as not as beneficial to biodiversity as you're saying. yeah. okay, can I? insert yeah. my skepticism once again <laughs> yeah. yes yes i am totally sympathetic to the arguments you guys are making about the corporate control of food in general and then uh, the way in which 
patents are used and these this the, the way this technology is developed and then patented um, and then its use in a particular way i am sympathetic that that is a problem mm-hmm. but that doesn't doesn't tell you about the technology itself that's just tells you about how the technology is being used and how it's fitting into capitalist property relations mm-hmm. and like okay but let me let me pull back one of the arguments or one of the um points you made connor about about well we don't know the long-term impacts of mixing genes uh that these genes wouldn't have come you know together to modify this organism in nature well i don't know what you guys think of what agriculture is but you know that wouldn't have developed had we just left it all up to nature Right, but it's gradual change, right? Over generations. Over time. Yeah. And yet it has had a huge impact on global ecosystems even prior to the development of capitalism. You know, we had transformed entire continents through just peasant-based agriculture. Mm -hmm. So my perspective would be we have to think about not technology as a kind of autonomous... Yeah, bad thing, bad or good thing. And I would say that we should celebrate technological progress, except that we should see that, of course, this is how things work in capitalist society. That I, I think that it's a, what a fantastic thing that we're able to mix genes. And, you know, I, I would, even considering that we have to think about, okay, well, what are the long-term, perhaps there are some long-term impacts or some issue that we have to figure out. It's not perhaps, it is happening. We do know that, that um, the decline in terms of the diversity. Well, but right? again, like that's we how, it, that's based on how it's being used. I yeah. mean, you can use but it was GMO. Created. Okay, but, okay. Well, GMOs was created by capitalists for profit. It wasn't created because somebody wanted to solve world hunger. Let's be real. That is how it's marketed to most third world countries, but that's not how it's used. And that's not what the end result end up being in communities. So it is difficult to celebrate this technological advancement when we know that it wasn't created to solve any world problems. Well, yeah, I'm sure the people who develop these things and who push them on other countries like i'm sure they believe in the technology and they believe they're they're doing a good a good thing but we have to look at the long term like yeah maybe there is a short-term yield increase right but yeah i mean we could say the same thing about uh like antibiotics as well like you, you have you have this you know technological you know solution to a problem and we're finding out now that you know all of our uh, all of our antibiotics are no longer effective and well that's putting it rather strongly but it's true most, well not most are not, not all of our antibiotics okay. are no longer effective come on connor <laughs> yeah i'm i'm exaggerating slightly but i th- i think <laughs> i think the concern amongst a lot of people is that we're going to have these uh, you know super organisms super bugs or whatever mm-hmm. and um and our and we are on a course where our antibiotics won't be effective anymore right well and that's certainly a worry and again i'm not suggesting that that is a good thing that the that end result is a good thing the development of superbugs but i would celebrate the development of 
antibiotics and the technological progress that led to that. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying, and I'll exceed or concede that point. But okay, just to link it back to GMOs for a second, where I was going with the antibiotic thing is that you have to spend all these resources to develop these, you know, strains of crops that are resistant to pesticides and whatnot. But you know, who's to say how effective they, how long they will be effective for? Like, will will the pest simply evolve uh, to uh, to beat our genetic engineering? Mm-hmm. And so it, we're we're almost in this like we're trying to keep ahead of nature in a way, in terms of, and we're 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 consuming more and more time and energy into these into these um, systems that lend themselves to centralized, you know, corporate control because by their very nature they take so much. Uh, resources. In terms of the development of these technologies, I'm I don't know the numbers on this, but I bet you that you know whatever Monsanto or whatever other sort of corporate group will tell you or corporation will tell you, I'm sure it costs a lot of money. You there's have, a yeah. lot. Well, no, I'm sure it costs a lot of money, but I bet you there's a lot of public money behind this. Behind the, the 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 development of yes uh, you know new agricultural technologies yes well and so there's an argument for social ownership of of these technologies and social deployment of these technologies you know and taking into cons- you know concern all of the things that you guys are raising that these be publicly owned and publicly deployed so that they that we're not destroying the environment by using these technologies and we're we're not you know putting people's health at risk yeah which would mean then that we will have to do i think okay i think before we put in a lot of that resource we also need to also put in resources into sustainable agriculture and look at that because we cannot make an argument for one when we don't have a clear picture for the other um, the reason why we've made these advancements in in this technology is because of public dollars and private dollars being heavily put into it, but very minimum put into looking at sustainable agriculture. So for me, I will argue that we actually put a lot of money into sustainable agriculture because we do know the facts are the facts in terms of the impact on the environment. We do know that for sure. So I think if we are to survive as a species, that's where we should put a lot of our energy and a lot of our time and not so much into the GMO. Yes, if something, if if public dollars is put into uh, developing um, a technology or something, yes, it should be owned by the public. But I'm not going to make an argument for um, GMOs. Mm-hmm. You know, we also have to look at the the fossil fuel use associated with uh, industrial scale agriculture mm-hmm. and the impact and, on the environment and how. You know what is it like seven times the amount of fossil fuel energy is needed to create one unit of energy of you know food calories but i can't eat the oil connor i know but just i know the just, fa- yeah i know that's it's bad <laughs> yeah but again you you guys are pushing the discussion in a direction that that i'm like i'm not saying that large-scale monocultural fossil fuel heavy industrial agriculture is good Mm-hmm. Right and no and but well, actually <laughs> wait you are <laughs> here we go no 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 oh, that's Lord. not well that's not necessarily what I'm saying but mm. let me say something about let let me say something about traditional agriculture okay mm-hmm. oh god 
I mean, I do think that we can't be um, romanticizing. Yeah, it. we can't romanticize these things. Like I've spent time in rural Ghana. Mm -hmm. You know, the farmers there want pesticides. They want to use pesticides because increasingly, you know, their children are migrating to the cities mm -hmm. and they have less and less labor around. And then so like when you have to go weed the farm, it's really difficult. I've tried, I tried to go help weed a farm uh, in, in Northern Ghana. It was really, I think I lasted maybe 10 minutes and then I went and slept under a tree. <laughs> so, okay. But, but that's not, a f that's not the, the issue here. So there's globally, there's an issue around labor and, and agriculture, right? Mm -hmm. um, because of the industrialization and the commodification of agriculture and with, with it being heavily dependent on the exploitation of people. So I think the issue um, that you're mentioning there, yes, this farmer wants chemical fertilizers because of um, labor shortage, mm -hmm. but that labor shortage has a history. Um, and the fact that farming is not seen as uh, a, a type of work that um, young people want to get involved in, right? People want to be doctors, lawyers, scientists, whatever, right? Like if you ask any child, but they never want to be a farmer. Yeah, but why we shouldn't discourage kids from wanting to be whatever they want to be. But but the point I'm trying to no, make I, is that it's not seen as that way. So and with poverty, deforestation, there are many reasons why more and more people are moving into urban centers, mm -hmm. which is then creating other issues and other problems. So I think the issue, the, the scenario that you gave, it's just a, a tip of the iceberg in terms of a bigger issue around labor and around the industrialization um, and commodification of our food, which is creating the shortages on the farm. Like in Canada here and in the States, right? We also have shortages like the foreign agriculture, the foreign um, worker program brings in thousands of um, farmers each year from the Caribbean and also from Asia as well, right, onto farms to work. And their labor is also exploited and you're paid uh, low wages. It's because I don't want to work as a temporary farm worker. Because, yeah, because it doesn't pay well. Yeah, it pays so, really badly. And so we have an in, a, a system that the money sits at the top. Right. When we think about food and agriculture and the actual farmers, the people who are actually on the ground growing the food are not make, getting their fair share. Yeah. So there is a huge issue around labor. I completely and agri agree. Yeah. Agriculture. Yeah. And then then, you know, our dear capitalist system always comes up with a solution for the problem. Mm -hmm. So then the solution is let's use chemical fertilizers, which then they sell back to the farmers to use on the field so that you don't have to do any of that. So I feel like the, the capitalist system creates the, they create the issue and then they are the same ones with the solutions yeah, that also cost more. it's innovative system. <laughs> All that is solid melts into air. Uh, yeah, and to to go back to the mechanization point, like I don't think even small scale, like the kind of the renaissance in this like market gardening that, that's happening right now, it's not like it's um, it's taking away all the mechanization of of farming. Like I think there's st still very strong interest in using tractors, and organic farming is trying not to use pesticides, of course, but the tractors can still you know, provide a lot of weed control and, uh, and, you know, we don't have to dispense with, uh, <laughs> with every. Right. Can I also say something like, I, I think there was 
there's something more substantive that I wanted to say about traditional agriculture. Mm-hmm. I, can I just say on a very basic sort of in very basic terms, traditional agriculture is horrible. Look, pre-capitalist societies, there's obviously aspects of those societies that we should respect and that are morally perhaps better than what we are used to and all of those things as communal aspects. But like if you go to like a traditional and like now, of course, you can't really, but to the extent that traditional agricultural regimes exist, they're not nice, man. The impact that these things have like physically, you know, and the amount of physical labor that's required Mm -hmm. to reproduce yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. It has a horrible impact on on people and like their longevity and and so I I really think we we shouldn't romanticize what no. a pre-capitalist peasant life was like. No. We certainly don't want to res- return to it. That's not to say that we uh, uncritically celebrate technological progress and especially the way in which capitalist society, you know, has pushed us increasingly towards ecological destruction, towards social injustice, um, despite the technological innovations that it produces. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I I think our anti-capitalism can't be, you know, this call for a return to the traditional. That's my sense. I mean, I, you know... We do need some aspects of the traditional if we want to live on this particular planet and that's not to romantic, but we also need to acknowledge that it takes hard work to feed people. And um, food globally is cheap. And I say cheap in the sense that it doesn't, um, if you're doing um, organic uh, farming, it doesn't take into consideration the actual amount of labor and work and time and energy that it, it, it put to actually grow that food. But um, we know that at the scale that we're going right now with big agribusinesses and, and, and things like that is not sustainable for the environment at all. I agree. I agree and with it's that. destroying the environment. And yeah. yes, but I'm, I want to agree yeah. with you that, yes, we cannot romanticize it. And we have to acknowledge that farming is hard, back-breaking work yeah. that will need everyone in the community if we want to feed ourselves. Like we have to accept that aspect as well. Do, Nothing we, is do I come. have to work on a farm? Not everybody have to work on a farm. That's the beauty of having uh, a society with a diverse range of people with diverse interests and, and aspirations. Mm-hmm. But we got to eat. Without food, none of us will be here. Mm-hmm. To grow good quality food, it requires work. We have to acknowledge that and we have to accept that. Do we have to look for ways to make that a bit easier yes should we do it at the expense of killing the planet and killing ourselves no i mean of course we agree i think we we agree fundamentally i would just caution i mean you know to borrow from your phrase that food is cheap and there's a reason that food is cheap in the way that it is what i would say is that tradition is cheap like how old is agriculture you know, it's a relatively recent thing, you know, sometime within the te- last 10,000 years of human history, uh, the climate sort of settled into a, into a place where we could develop uh, agriculture and in, in different parts of the world. And we developed entire civilizations around this way of producing food mm-hmm. and developed traditions and, and some in some ways, you know, 
very bad traditions. I mean, there's something in you can see, for instance, and perhaps this you can't make an overly gener general general statement about this, but one of the things you can see about the development of peasant society is that um, for whatever reason, peasant societies tend to be quite misogynistic. I mean, they they tend to, they tend to be societies in which males dominate. It does uh, generalize in all peasant society because not all peasant societies are based on a, a patriarchal um, um, system. Not all of them, right? but I would say probably a majority of them. And there's lots of complicated reasons why these kinds of patriarchal structures would have developed. Um, I'm just saying that that's one, at, like tradition is many things, right? You, people can use tradition to say, well, we should go back, as you guys are saying, to traditional ways of growing food. And then they can say, well, you can use tradition to say, well, women should have their own place in society and not rise above it and that kind of thing. So tr in that sense, I would say we, sh we shouldn't be, so, you know, the tradition is a, is, a, yeah. is a loaded term that we need to kind of not always in uncritically. Yeah, I'm not, advoc I'm not advocating for a tradition per se. I'm advocating for uh, basically a more low-tech way of producing our food. Uh, and and I, act I, I do probably romanticize like a certain traditional culture. And I do feel a sense of, of cultural loss, I think, around like our food practices and you know how we how we grow and eat, and um, which I would like to get back. I feel, but um, I was going to say on the point about what we need to do. I think we have to be results oriented. Like we know what we have to accomplish in order to mitigate climate change to the best degree that we can, mm -hmm. and we know that we can't be you know degrading our topsoil because that's simply not sustainable. And, and actually, you know, lots of peasant societies in the past have been, you know, guilty of over centuries yeah. degrading their soil. Yeah. And, but without we, access to tractors, without access to tractors. And, yeah. but, you know, we, we, we do understand that topsoil can be, can be lost and, yeah. and, and it can be built, it can be improved. And so, mm -hmm. and that's what regenerative agriculture seeks to accomplish is, you know, building the carbon and nutrient capacities of our soil and actually it's a it's a climate change mitigation strategy in itself it's a sequestration strategy putting bringing carbon from the atmosphere and storing it in our soils and then building up those carbon levels and then maintaining it mm -hmm. while still producing food and so we don't want to be romantic but we just we just have to do what needs to be done in order to to face these challenges i think well yeah and which requires a use of the technological means that modern society has developed, but in a way that is humane, that is ecologically sustainable. Uh, and, and that, I think, is important. The other thing about the, not to rag on traditional society more than we need to here, mm -hmm. but I really, I feel like we really need to understand the limits of traditional society. And you know who who is most interested in escaping those limits? The people who are bounded by the limits of traditional society. I mean, it's the, the peasants who want to have electrification in their homes. They're the ones who want their children to have access to public education, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
it's the you know the women and the girls in those communities and again not to you know suggest that this is you know all traditional society is horrible to women i mean there are aspects that are you know in some cases uh, go can go either way but they they want uh, emancipation and so do they want emancipation it, though or yeah. or are they simply is it is it because of the the inequality right like are they are they simply seeing how you know certain people in other countries or within their own country have it better than they do and they just want that yeah, but why shouldn't they have it why shouldn't people have access to electricity because we know that people in the first world are over consuming the world's resources at an unsustainable rate and because so, of access to electricity yeah and all the other thought. you can't have electrification sustainably i'm not saying we can't have it i'm just saying you know maybe not at the levels that we currently enjoy or or, or certainly not in the way that we're currently doing it because it's not sustainable. Like, yeah, but I think the you know the problem with overconsumption in the global north is not because of access to basic needs, and these things are are basic needs at this point, right? We we consider electricity, running water, education, libraries. I would hope we consider them basic needs that every human being should have access to. I was going to say that people wow. want these resources and these technological advancements and things because uh, to, to add to what Connor was saying because we have them we've been extracting from their communities for them we are the ones leaving them there destitute um, with our overconsumption we consume everything so I wouldn't call it as liberation in the way that you put it, but as like a share. Mm -hmm. I mean, but they people want to raise their standards of living. Of course they but, want that, but is that sustainable in the long term, right? I, so. Well, I would hope so. I mean, peasants that ha you know survive on a dollar and a half a day could probably use, you know, improving their living standards substantially while not really having much of an impact on the environment. Yeah. I mean, I think that's possible. Yeah. Do you, do you want to know who else wants access to modernity? But, okay, but they, they can improve their living standard modestly, but if they aspire to the level of consumption that we have here, then that's not going to work. Because we are based in the idea of... Um, I was going to use the word civilization because the world, the march, what we're saying is us living in this part of the world, us living in this part of the world, we are the ones with the resources and with the, like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, what are we comparing it to? What the good life is. If the good life is being told to everyone globally is having all these technological advancements that of course is destroying the environment and having all of these things, then that's what they have to compare to in terms of what is the good life. I can exactly, give you an example. Yeah. When I went to Ghana, for me, the good life was not living in Accra. The good life was when I was able to actually go into the village and eat good, nutritious, healthy food. I had to recognize though that while I was there and thinking I'm living the good life, sitting under, you know, the avocado tree and having my good food and everything, what people wanted, like you said, was to have 
maybe some fried chicken and some Coca-Cola or like all the things that I was trying Access to Access to Wi-Fi. <laughs> no, it's true. Well, well, it's not a bad thing. Wi-Fi didn't come in at the time. It was more so like, can I have the phone that you have? So like, I guess that's what I mean. It's like, what is being compared as the good life and what is being sold as the good life? Because we here in the West, we're very good at selling this idea of a good life, but we know that the good life is not sustainable. And may, may not be as fulfilling as it seems. No. Yeah. Okay, you know what's not fulfilling? What's not Connor? fulfilling? Having your children die before the age of five. No. That's not fulfilling. No, okay? definitely. But that's not. But, okay, but listen, but that's, <laughs> but that's because of the system that we have in place that makes it so. You know this already. No, 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 no. hold on a so second. In, infant mortality is has fallen. And again, this is another critique of of traditional society. Look, I'm I'm from a family which is one step removed, one step removed from the village. Okay, my dad, before he was born, he had a sibling, his or his parents had a child, who was given his name, and. My, my grandparents went off somewhere. I think they went to the pilgrimage in Mecca, as Muslims tend to do. And then they came back and they said, oh, where's... And my grandmother said, where's Daud? Which was the name of the child. He was maybe like three, four years old. Because like the family had sort of, you know, they had received them. They'd all been this like, you know, celebration that they're back and everybody was sitting around. And she noticed that like, oh, where's my son? And this was the first point at which people said, oh, he's, you know, he's passed away. And then my dad was born and he was given the same name. Okay. And then when my parents got married, they moved, they, well, they had already moved to the city. Um, they had three children. First of all, they had fewer children than their parents had. And none of their children died after being born. My mother didn't die during childbirth, which was also something that was common. So all of these things are good, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Now, but what are the, what are the, what caused that, right? Because you can argue that it, like, like, what are you suggesting was the reason that your, 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 your uncle was, died as a baby? Like, what was the? Oh yeah, that guy would have been my uncle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. What was the reason? Yeah. Well, a lack of access to, you know, basic medicine, a lower standards of hygiene, lack of access to proper drinking water. Those types of things were the things that led to premature death. Um, they still do. You know, it's horrific the kinds of things that happen to people, despite the fact that we have made so much technological progress. And this is the problem with capitalist society. Yeah. Is that it It hasn't solved global poverty. No. Um, in fact, it's entrenched those inequalities in a way that uh, doesn't seem surmountable at this point. That's yeah, a, and it was never set up though to solve those problems. Right, right? it was yeah, it not was, set up it was set to, up to enrich a, a, few. a few countries at the expense of a few. Well, but okay, we, but okay, so that but that doesn't mean that we. Sh yeah, all I'm saying is that we need to see these things as his historical, and that there's no going back to traditional society and. First of all, there's no going back. Second of all, we don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. I don't want to be one of the kids that died. 
No, and 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 I don't think that's the argument that I'm making or that Connor is making that we should go back to that. Connor's saying he likes traditional, so he there's okay. something about it that he, you know, not in he the misses. Con- not, this is someone who's what five generations removed. Not in the context. <laughs> not in the context of like having all of those. Right, I don't think I not th- in I that. I think Letitia agrees with me, uh, Umer. What are you? Come on, and, and she <laughs> she like she's not world. even she's not even one generation removed from the village. <laughs> yeah, well, then you know what it's like. I do. Yeah. I grew up in the village. I grew up very poor. I had no shoes, and my grandmother had to sell her property when I was sick one time, really sick, to to take care of me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying to go back to those, but I'm saying that there is so much to be learned from traditional ways of agriculture that can be advanced if only we put the resources and the energy into that. If all our resources and energy is put into technological advancement that is destroying the environment, then we're not doing anything because, again, these are advancement that is financed by capitalism for one sole purpose to make a few people rich. So what I'm saying is that the, we can go back to ways of tradition, the good, look at the good, um, and look at how we can improve upon the good and, and in a way that is sustainable overall. But I don't, I, and yeah, that's, that, that's my statement. And I, I think the, like, capitalism, uh, like, as a, ideology like the the intent and the goal was you know all these benefits are going to be you know eventually trickle trickle down down, everybody trickle down or spread out or you know once we become technologically advanced enough you know everybody can have all these things but what we now understand is that no the globe cannot support that and so yeah so we need to have a sense of how to distribute you know a decent living standard to yeah hopefully all the people of the planet while maintaining ecological sustainability and that can't be done within you know a capitalist structure no matter how many urban farms right yes set up. so this yeah. is we should go to the we should go to what we, what we are accomplishing can we can we hold on can we do that in the next segment because okay. let's take a little bit of a break yeah, yeah i need a break okay. yeah all right Thanks for tuning in to the Oats for Breakfast podcast. Remember to subscribe if you haven't done so yet. And also remember that you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash oats for breakfast and signing up as a patron.